Well, good morning, everyone. I uh, have the pleasure of speaking to you today, um, and it's, it's a topic that um, I really am passionate about, so it's, it's a nice week to be able to, to speak with you all. Uh, we're starting a new series this week on, uh, based on Elijah and Elisha, and uh, today we'll kind of do an intro uh, to that and talk about some mentoring things, and then next week Mark will speak, followed by Josh, and just go through the whole the ministry and, and the aspects of it, and uh, I hope you're encouraged by it, especially with what we talked about today, too. Um, today, we're going to, like I said, we're going to talk a little bit about when they meet up, uh, when Elijah is called by Elijah, um, and then really go into mentoring and bring up the next generation, uh, specifically in the church, which I think is really, really important. Um, so the first thing I want to do is just give you some context about this. Uh, if you aren't familiar with the story, or maybe it's been a while, uh, we're starting in 1 Kings 19, and uh, what's happened up to now, just a little brief thing, uh, Elijah, the prophet, he was a prophet in northern Israel, and he just had defeated the prophets of Baal. Um, and if you remember that story, the prophets of Baal and him kind of had a contest on whose God was stronger. Their God didn't show up. He kind of mocked them and made fun of them, uh, which is kind of comical. And then uh, God showed up and just destroyed everything on his altar. Uh, and it was, it was pretty impressive, uh, to say the least. Um, but after that, the prophets of Baal turned to God and Jezebel got word of it, who was the queen at that time, and she was not happy. Uh, and she said, basically, I'm going to kill you, and I promise to do it before tomorrow, basically. So he, uh, Elijah, fled into the wilderness, and during that time, he kind of got a little depressed, I, could, I guess you'd say. Uh, he, he asked God, like, can you just let me die now? I think I'm good. I'm done. I'm done with this whole thing. Um, and it's, it's kind of a sad point, but God um, keeps him alive. He he uh, miraculously provides for him in the wilderness. And uh, towards the end of that time, he says, all right, it's time for you to move on now. Uh, you're going to go appoint two new kings and uh, appoint a, a prophet underneath you to raise up uh, named Elisha. Now, those names, I'm going to mess up at some point, I'm sure of it, Elijah and Elisha, because uh, pretty close. Um, so that's where we are. But uh, if, uh, I think it's going to be on the screen too, but if you have a Bible as well, we are in 1 Kings 19, starting at verse 19. Uh, and that says, So Elijah uh, went from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat. Now he went from there, meaning where he was in the wilderness. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to, done to you? So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. So before we get into like the, the mentoring aspect of it, there's a few things that I think are key in that, um, just that short, short passage. Uh, the first thing is Elisha was farming, basically. He was in the fields plowing. Uh, he wasn't in a prestigious uh, position. He wasn't in ministry, anything, anything like that. He was in the fields. Um, so no matter where his family might have been as, as far as their status or anything like that, he was a hard worker. Um, he, was, he was working with these other people. He was on the, the 12th, basically with the 12th pair of oxen. Um, and that shows, shows something about that. Sometimes we forget uh, when we're, we're bringing up someone in, in ministry or anything like that. Um, sometimes the first place we look is, is the colleges. The first place we look is maybe someone that's already in the church. Um, and these people, they really weren't. They were, they were in a totally different field for, in, in life. Um, I guess no pun intended. I didn't even, because the field. Um, but so 
you don't, think of, you don't think of that very often. And I think sometimes we forget that too, that all throughout Scripture that happens. God picks the people that we might not really think uh, would be the best for the job. Uh, we see that with David when he was um, you know, brought into what God wanted him to do. He was tending the sheep in the field. He wasn't even with the brothers, if I remember correctly, when they were trying to decide who was going to be king. Um, Peter was a fisherman, not very prestigious. Uh, Paul was a tent maker. And even Jesus was a carpenter by trade. Um, and so, so we see that hard work and you know, willingness to do jobs that might not be, I guess, the best uh, or the most pleasant, really, that doesn't matter because God knows the heart. He knows the work ethic. He knows these people will get his, his, his mission done. Um, so I think that's important to see. It's not always, I don't know, I think of like, you know, if we're going to get an intern for the church, the first place we look at is the college. And that's, that makes sense because college credits, all that, they have to do that. But there might be someone who's not even in that that has gifts for this. Uh, so I think it's really important to remember that uh, when we're talking about bringing up the next generation in the church. Uh, the second thing I found that was significant, I thought, in this passage was the significance of the cloak, of Elijah's cloak. Um, and the cloak, it's, it's, I mean, it's fairly simple. I think throwing a coat over someone's shoulders might signify something similar today, like they're under your wing or something. Um, but basically, the cloak was a sign of a prophet, and it would have been recognized pretty widely in that time uh, in Israel. So he threw it over Elisha's shoulders, and I was basically like, all right, here you go. You're under my wing. Uh, come with me. Uh, but it, also, um, it could also be a sign of adoption, which is pretty cool, too, as far as the spiritual sense. You know, he's kind of adopting him into this mission um, that God's, God's called him into. Uh, the third thing is Elisha honors his parents. Uh, and I think this is interesting, because I've heard people, you know, it depends on your background of Christianity, what you might think of this. Uh, but when you see Elisha say, let me go back to my parents to say goodbye, basically. Um, the first thing I thought of was Luke 9 and Luke 14. And both of those, um, in Luke 9, um, someone's approaching Christ and being like, I want to follow you, but let me, let me bury my father first. And he basically says to him, let the dead bury their own dead. Uh, and it kind of, he doesn't follow him. Um, but what, what you're seeing there is it's a heart issue. It's not a, it's not a, I don't care about your family. It's a conflicted heart, and Christ can, Christ can see that in them. Uh, Luke 14 is the same thing. Uh, that's where Jesus basically says, whoever doesn't hate his family uh, can't call himself my disciple. Now, obviously, Christ doesn't want us to hate our families because that's, there's nothing in the Bible to support that, um, you know, other than taking this verse the wrong way, I think. Um, but what it is, is again, the conflict of the heart. And when Elisha said, let me go say goodbye to my family, there was no conflict. He had already made the choice. He ran after Elijah, um, said, I'm going to go with you, just let me say goodbye. So it was really a way to honor his parents um, and kind of be like, hey, I'm leaving, by the way. Uh, and we can see that, too, that he's determined to leave and go with Elijah because he, he burns his equipment to, to basically cook this meal for his family. There's nothing for him to go back to now, uh, which I thought was really, really interesting. And like I said, depending on your background, some of us tend to think as we're growing up, like, if I'm going to follow God, I have to give up everything I love, or he's going to take everything I love. Um, but that's not true. Um, you know, God obviously wants him to be first in your life, but... Um, it's, it's the heart is the big thing, the conflicted heart versus the heart that's going to follow uh, after Christ with nothing else in the way. And then the fourth thing uh, is where this leads us is Elisha follows Elijah, basically runs back to him, and this is where we set off on this kind of journey. Uh, and this is where I really want to, want to talk about mentoring now and the importance of mentoring. Uh, it was you know, me and Josh and uh, Lauren went to a conference down in, uh, where is it, Atlanta, Georgia, um, and 
called the Orange Conference, and we, you know, it was, it was pretty cool. And I was like, I don't know, like the first day, and it was like, it's nice, but I haven't heard anything like crazy mind-blowing yet. Um, but the last session of the last day uh, was, this, was this group that I wasn't even sure I wanted to go to, because the title was, I don't know, it, it wasn't anything that caught me particularly, but he talked about basically the next generation, millennials, and then iGen or Gen Z, which would be the one after millennials. Uh, basically, they're the generation that's grown up with technology at their fingertips the whole time. Uh, millennials kind of integrated with it, uh, all that. So if you didn't know those terms, I hope that kind of clears it up. But he went into this whole thing where we, we think so many things about these people and these generations that maybe aren't true, but um, we still need to get them in the church, and they seem to be leaving the church, and what do we do? Uh, and it was really, really cool to hear him talk about basically mentoring and bringing up the next generations in the church. Um, so some things I found here, so the importance of mentoring. Uh, the first thing I want to talk about is mentoring is mutually beneficial. And we can even see this looking at Elijah and Elisha. I mean, if you look at Elijah, he just wanted to die, right, before we found him here. He was like, let me die, I'm done. And then he found Elisha, and as we'll see, you know, there's encouragement when you have someone underneath you and able to kind of shoulder that burden with you. So Elijah finds encouragement um, in Elisha. Um, and doing ministry together, like I said, shouldering that burden. Um, and then obviously, the one that's being mentored, uh, they gain perspective and wisdom and knowledge, and they sharpen their skills. Um, someone to keep them accountable, that's important for, for young people too. Uh, so mentoring is mutual, mutually beneficial. Um, in our lives, it's the same case. Uh, I think sometimes as we grow up, like even me, I find, you can become like cynical and kind of detached from what's going on and upcoming and as far as, as, far as the youth and um, as far as the next generation, you kind of get tunnel vision of what you think life is like. And, you know, being with the younger generation, mentoring them, bringing them up, uh, you, you kind of, you get a new perspective of, oh, it's not like that still, or maybe this is changing. Um, and the cynicism can kind of come, go away. Maybe it, gets, maybe it gets worse, I don't know. But <laughs> for me, it goes away because you see so many uh, young people really want to, wanting to follow God uh, and really wanting to come up the right way. Uh, and then again, those being mentored, they just gain wisdom and they, you know, whatever wisdom they can get from you um, and their experiences and their skills, it's all sharpened. And like I said, accountability is huge too, uh, as far as work ethic, uh, what they expose themselves to, um, how to handle different situations. Uh, it helps you both. So when you think of mentoring as, as a mentor um, type thing or, or someone that would be mentored, uh, it's, it's not, you don't just get drained basically. There is, there is something that comes back to you as well. Uh, it might not always be forever, or right away, and we'll talk about that in a little bit, but it does, um, it does encourage you, for sure. Uh, the second thing is, those who don't learn from history are doomed to repeat it. Uh, and you've probably heard that phrase before, but um, I think that's very, very true, especially uh, in the younger generation. If, if Looking back through our history, not even that far, maybe a couple decades, um, there used to be a lot more communication between generations. I feel like now there's more, a little more of a divide, um, and there's pr probably a lot of reasons for that. But it seems now, too, if you see people coming up through the universities and everything else, they have no idea about what's happened, even in our country or anything like that, um, in society. And they have these ideas, and you're just like, no, we've tried that. It doesn't work. Like, if you would just, you know, learn from people that are older than you, you might see a different perspective, uh, things, that, things that might not have worked uh, in the past. And personally, I, I know I've had, I'm the youngest of four brothers, so I saw three brothers kind of grow up and 
fumble around and make dumb mistakes, make good decisions, and I was able to learn from them. Uh, so even, even if you're not much older than someone or much younger than someone, you can still learn from them. Usually, I always encourage my students, try to find someone that's, that's just a step ahead in life, you know, just one chapter ahead in life at least, uh, to learn from. And even my mentors, I've seen mentors be really good, and I've seen mentors really fail. And, uh, and you know, luckily, I was, I was taught to depend on God, not a person. So when they failed, I knew, you know, God's not failing me. It's just a person. They, they make mistakes. Um, but you learn, okay, maybe I shouldn't do that. Um, so those that don't learn from history are doomed to repeat it. So it's really, really helpful if we teach the younger generation what's worked, what hasn't. Um, and in ministry, or if you have your own business or whatever, uh, don't reinvent the wheel. Um, it's so easy for people, I know for me when I was new in ministry, I still am new in ministry, but when I was like fresh out of college, there were so many things I wanted to do, and the church I was at was like, eh, we've tried that, you know, it doesn't really work. Um, so you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You can, you can go off of people's accomplishments, learn what they've learned. You know, not everything works the same way in every church or in every business. Um, learn, to, learn to work off of people's accomplishments. Um, third thing for, uh, for that is mentoring builds character. And I think this is especially true in this day because everything's so instant. I mean, I think, I think if you're in the Nashville area, you can get an Amazon package in an hour. Is that right? Something like that? Like, I, I do, I'm young, but I do remember like, having to go through a catalog and filling out a form and mailing it in. You know? um, I'm not that young. Uh, so, I mean, everything is so instant. I mean, we could, we could go grocery shopping on our phone if we wanted to. Uh, it'd be there in an hour. Um, so learning... The, the difference between hard work and instant gratification, I think, is huge. Um, and and many, grow, many people grow up, too, without many troubles, uh, which is a good thing. I mean, we live in a peaceful society for the most part, um, especially like this generation and maybe the last one, too. Uh, but there aren't many huge struggles, uh, you know, especially in, in, in an area like this where it's, you know, it's a pretty good area. Um, and you might go through college. And I saw some of my friends do this. They went through Bible college. They were... In a good family, good church, Bible college, into ministry, and that's where they hit the wall. Um, and they, they get reality of what ministry is really like. How many of you are, are serving in ministry or have served in ministry as a volunteer or staff or anything like that? Is ministry really easy? No, there's, there's crap that you deal with that you never thought you'd have to deal with. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> uh, I, I forget who always says it. Someone uh, always says, uh, the best thing about ministry is the people, and the worst thing about ministry is the people, right? It's, it's true, because you love the people, that's why you're in ministry. But, uh, but, I mean, people are hard to deal with, and we're hard to deal with, even, even each of us, you know, that are saying that. Um, and you don't realize how much junk goes on behind the scenes uh, until you get there, and, and you're faced with it, sometimes as a leader. Um, so, I mean, if, I know if those students that I saw kind of hit that wall and get discouraged, I knew if they had a mentor, maybe they would have seen that. See, I had a mentor that, that caused a huge problem in a church. And uh, while I was just going to college, so I, I mean, he was my closest mentor, taught me everything, music, all that. And I saw him kind of fail. Um, and luckily, you know, he was brought back into ministry and everything there. But um, what else I try to thought? Sorry, I'm, I'm sick too and I'm like medication. So if I'm a little foggy, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but basically... You can, um, you know, it's, it's hard, ministry is hard work, is what I'm getting at. And dealing with people, it, it, it's messy. Um, and dealing with people takes a long time. Now, you know, I'm, I'm sure you parents out there know that some things you teach your kids, I'm not a parent, so I'm not speaking by any, you know, any authority. 
Um, what you teach your kids might not manifest itself in, until like midway through life. Uh, you might think they don't listen to me. They never hear me. Or as a teacher, you might think that. Um, and then years later, they'll be like, oh yeah, my, my teacher, my parent taught me this and that's what I've always lived by. And you're like, I didn't even think you heard me. So you, sometimes you just don't know. It, take, it takes a lot of time. There's, if you're looking for instant gratification with this, on either end, mentor or to be mentored, um, that's just not how it works usually. Um, and then, like I said, it's, it's not always easy, um, but you learn the value of hard work. And, um, and, and, and young people want to be mentored. Uh, we did this, have been doing this series on Wednesday nights with the students called Questions. And uh, I was looking for a series to do a couple months ago, and I was like, why don't we just ask them what their questions are and answer them? And uh, the first question that I got that we went over was, how do I build my character? I was like, that's a pretty deep question for a teen. Uh, I don't know who asked it, it was all random. But uh, kudos to whoever did, it was good. But we got to go into how, how do you legitimately and practically um, build your character. So they're, they're looking for that. They're not just, you know, we think of oh, the younger generation, they're just on their phones the whole time, they don't really care. Um, me and Becca were talking a couple days ago about being on your phone, and when you're, when you're, you know, with, I don't know, when you're standing around in the lobby of church or something, and you're just like, you're like this, and you're not talking to anyone, you kind of sit against the wall. It's not necessarily that you don't want to talk to people, it's just that you don't know what to do with yourself. And sometimes that happens with students too. They just don't know what to do with themselves. They feel awkward or, or disconnected, so they, so they go to the place where they feel connected. Uh, that's some of the psychology behind it, I think. Um, because I, even I do that. And it's times where I don't feel totally comfortable. Um, sometimes I'm busy and have something to do, but sometimes I'm not totally comfortable. I'd rather just sink back and, and be where thing, you know, see something that I'm comfortable with or talk to people that are miles away or whatever. Uh, it's not always like, I don't want to talk to you, go away. And we see, when we see that with the younger generation too, I think it's important not to always see them as kind of like being like, no, go away. Um, they do have the desire to be mentored, um, at least in some capacity. And if they don't, then they need it, so talk to them. Um, so specifically mentoring the next generation, uh, we've talked about you know, why it's beneficial uh, and how it's beneficial. Um, but when we mention the next generation, like I said, millennials, Generation Z, uh, you might kind of flinch at that because maybe you know some of the stereotypes and maybe this video is what you think of them. Amy, it says you are trained in technology. That's very good. Are you adept at Excel? No. PowerPoint? No. Publisher? Not really. Exactly in what area of technology mm -hmm. are you proficient? <laughs> Snapchat, Pinterest, Instagram, Vine, Twitter, you know, the big ones. I'm surprised you didn't say Facebook. <laughs> That's for old people, like my parents. <laughs> That's funny. Well, Amy, when you're working for me, you have to have those kind of research skills because I'll send you things for you to comb through and get the answers and send them to me. So for that, you've got to be really good at technology. For stuff like that, no problem. I'll just ask Siri. You'll just ask Siri? You know, Siri tell me this, Siri find me that. We're all good getting you the answers. Tell Siri I want you ready to go at eight, sharp, each and every morning. I don't understand. What don't you understand? What you just said. You don't understand be ready to go? No. You said eight, right? Yes. 
ate like in the morning ate? Yes, in the morning. Yeah, that kind of doesn't work for me. Who gets up at eight? I do. I Skype with my French boyfriend in Paris until like three in the morning. I don't even get to Starbucks until like 10 where I order my grande chai tea latte, three pumps, skim milk, light water, 2% foam, extra hot, but not too hot. So if it's okay, I work best in the morning at 10.45. <laughs> wow. Amy, I don't think we're gonna be a good fit. Why are you so negative? I can sense your hostilities and right now I am not feeling very safe. I've been here for over five minutes and the only nice thing you have said to me was nice resume, which I typed all night for this meeting with you. You've given me no guidance, no validation, no encouragement, no supervision. Is there an HR director somewhere? HR director? Yes, I need to speak to someone. I may have to take off today as a mental health day. Take today off you, Amy. Amy, look at me. You don't work here. Are you firing me? Okay, yes. <sighs> so, I get a little uncomfortable watching that because I know people like that. It's scary. But, uh, so, in the conference that I was at, in this, in this breakout session, <clears throat> this is what Scott was talking about. Uh, his name was Dr. Steve Argue, um, and he researched all this stuff about millennials, the next generation, and how they kind of fit into the church, what stereotypes we should do away with. Um, it's funny, when I was, I did a, a web, web search for the top results of millennials are, and it, here's, here's the top eight I, I configured. Uh, lazy, entitled, spoiled, stupid, ruining America, crybabies, idiots, and narcissistic. Now. I mean, there's, there's plenty of that, but I don't think it is the majority. I think the minority is just louder, uh, which happens a lot of times. Um, the minority of, uh, of a group of people is just louder, and we tend to think that that's what they're all like, and they're not necessarily. Um, so millennials, I, I don't believe they're all like that. Uh, you know, and, and part of the, th the reason we, we think that, and maybe some of you have heard this, but um, adolescence used to be from about 12 to 18. All right, so that's teenage years, you're kind of growing up into being an adult. And then 18, you're an adult. You're time to go into real life and start doing things. That's not the case at all anymore. Um, I don't know any 18-year-old maybe that I would consider an adult yet. Maybe they're mature, but uh, you know, there's just something there that's not quite there yet. Um, and in this breakout session, he was saying that in his research, <laughs> in his research, adolescence is now 10 to 30. So it's grown about a decade um, so if you're like, this person just won't grow up, it's because they're still growing up. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's true. There's so many people that are my age or a little older that are still in their adolescence. Um, and you know, some, some of that has to do with upbringing, some of it has to do with how society is structured now, all that, but that's, that's the truth of it. People are still growing up and in, 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 in through their 20s. Um, so we have to, once you understand that, you, you can treat them, not treat them like a teenager, no offense teenagers, but... Um, they're, they're figuring out who they are. Um, so we need, to, we need to break the stereotype, I think, of, the, of that generation and of the one f coming up under them. Because uh, what, what happens is we, we basically hold an entire generation at arm's length uh, when, you, when you do that to them. Uh, so if you see someone walk through the door like my age or younger and you're like, millennial, they're probably lazy, probably entitled. They're probably going to look at this church and be like, 
eh, it doesn't fit my needs, and then walk away. Because that's usually how millennials, you know, we think, think. But there's a lot of millennials, especially in the church I see today, that are, that are not looking for the flashiest thing, that are not looking for, uh, you know, just an entertainment church. They're looking for something to dig their, to dig their heels into and, and learn it. Um, and the, the sooner we realize that and, and dig into that idea that they're not like this, or all not, not all like this, I think the better uh, we'll be able to bring them up in the church. Um, and I think, too, you know, much, much of the, the stereotype of the younger generation is, is a little um, because of understanding or lack of understanding. Um, and how many have heard the whole thing where college students leave the church in, in, in huge masses, basically? Once they go to college, they're gone. They might come back once they have kids, but they're totally gone. Um, and, you know, as I was listening to this, this guy in, in the breakout session, he was like, that's not true at all. Um, he's, and he gave these statistics. He said 80% of college students have an interest in spirituality, whatever that may be. I know spirituality is a, a pretty broad definition. Uh, 75% believe in God. 88% uh, of undergrad, um, their preferences stem out of Christian, Christian traditions, the, the field they go into. Uh, few of them would say that they're spiritual, not religious. How many have heard that saying, I'm spiritual but not religious? It's like, what does that even mean? Um, but they don't identify with that. Um, and then 65% have felt distant from God. So if you feel distant from God, there's a good chance you probably believe in God, right? And you know something's up and you need to change something. So what he said, which I thought was, was really interesting, he said, if we don't find religion today in the predictable places and forms, it doesn't mean it's gone. These people still want that connection. Uh, to the church. And it, it might not be how, you know, we, we have done it in the past, but they still are, are looking for that connection. Um, and he said, too, we need to integrate them into the church and not just section them off. Uh, and, you know, I, I have some things in the work, we, works we've been talking with, or I've been talking with, um, with my youth leadership, and how do we get our students more involved in the church and not just down in youth ministry? And how do we bring them up through their youth um, being in the church, as a part of the church? Because, uh, I mean, what, what do we all want? Uh, we want to all kind of be a, have ownership of it, right? We don't all, all want to be just like, this is my class, and this is where I stay. You want to feel like you're, you're a part of it, like you're a you know, part of the foundation of it. Um, and how do we do that with the next generation? How do we kind of bring them up so we can step aside eventually? Because we're not going to be here forever, but we hope the church will be, right? Or this church. Um, so how do we raise them up to kind of take on the responsibilities of the church? Um, and it might not be. I, I don't, I'm not saying I know how it is, um, but maybe there's something we need to look at, like how do we do this maybe a little different than we've done it in the past. Um, another thing about the next generation, we need to understand that not all differences are bad. Uh, some differences are bad, like morally wrong, uh, all that, but not all are bad. Sometimes they're just different. Um, and that's not coming from like a, like a moral relativism type thing or anything like that. Like there are things that just are amoral that are different that are okay. Uh, me and Becca were talking about like what, what is the... Um, what, what is the older generation, like the baby boomers or anything like that, and us, what do we just totally not see, see eye to eye on? And she was like, napkins. Like, napkins. And she, <laughs> we found this article about how millennials are ruining the napkin industry, basically. <laughs> and I was like, that's really weird. So I'm like, what do we get? Paper towels. We get paper towels. And there's some research into that. It's, it's on, like, what, Business Insider or something like that? Um, where basically millennials aren't buying napkins, they're buying paper towels, because paper towels are more, uh, like you have more uses and everything else, they're a little tougher, and we just, we hardly ever eat at home. So we don't, I mean, we we're, we're just grab it and go and whatever. Um, we just don't have napkins. Then I was like, you yeah, know, that's pretty true. 
We, when we first moved into our, we had, lived in a townhouse in Pennsylvania, and when we first moved in, we had like a cookout and stuff, and we got the same napkins, and it sat in our pantry, mostly full for three years, untouched. <laughs> and, then, and then one time, like, I think it was a holiday or something, our parents came over and we used them, but our parents brought another thing of napkins. And we had four napkins, we threw them out when we moved, like, we do not use napkins, it's really, really weird, like, stuff you just don't think about. I used them all the time as, a, as, a, as I was a kid, and we order paper towels, like, it's like our job. Um, so there's little, little things like that, we just, just totally different. And it's because life has changed, life is, is crazy, um, you know, I'm sure you, you know, older, older people there think, you know, life moves so fast now, like I said, everything's instant, and, and that's how it is, like, and that's changed basically how a generation is brought up and how they, they interact with things, even products. Uh, there, there's so many articles about millennials are ruining this business and this business and whatever. It's just interesting that other businesses are also coming up. Like, it's not all just bad. Like, there's just things that are changing. Um, but to get into another thing, me and my dad were talking a couple months ago about cell phone plans. And we were trying to find the cheapest thing because we're, you know, we're trying to find something that's like kind of you know, we can not spend too much money, so we're on a family plan together and each pay our share and all that stuff. And he's like, this is crazy. It's like 100 bucks a month for a cell phone. That's insane. Like, just 100 bucks a month so I can call people. And I was like, but dad, you do so much more with that phone. Like, we do everything on our phones. I do like half of my work on my phone and communicate with people. Um, for, for Generation Z, the next generation coming up, uh, people said that they're the first generation where the definition of phone is not a primary de definition of calling people. Like, that's not what they use their phone for primarily. It's a GPS, it's the internet, it's, it's a computer. I mean, it really is. Um, it's a way to talk to their friends with uh, instant messaging, text messaging. Uh, it's, it's an iPod. Uh, all that stuff was separate for me. And, and before, like, even early in my life, it didn't exist. Um, and so I was like, Dad, well, how much do you pay for cable? He's like, probably over 100 bucks a month. It's like, I don't have cable. <laughs> like, generations, they just, they value different things. Like, we have, we just stream stuff, at like eight bucks a month. We couldn't picture spending $100 a month on, on something to watch, but we will spend $100 a month on our phone. Uh, so things just change, the differences come up, and it's, it's just part of different generations. Um, on a more serious note, too, 30 years ago, when, a, when someone in their mid-20s or in their 20s moved back in with their parents, they were a failure. Like, they were, they were a bum, probably, right? And there's this kind of the stigma that still kind of is going on about, what, what are you talking about, you're 30 and you live with your parents? Like, why don't you get a real job and all that stuff? But now, if a 20-something moves into, the, into his parents' house, it's like, that's a good decision. You can save up some money. Like, like it's a good financial decision, really. I mean, because now we, we, we graduated high, sc or high school, college, with anywhere from like $50,000 to $100,000 in debt and even more. Um, so any good financial decision we can make, we do. Uh, so moving with your parents is not necessarily a bad thing now. It's actually a wise thing sometimes, uh, where, where then it was like, what are you doing with your life? Uh, so things just change. We have this perception of the reason, the, you know, the way I, it was when I was growing up is probably still the same for you, but it's not always true. Um, like I said, it's because that adolescence window has grown so much. And it's kind of frustrating being like these, these people, these humans, are basically adolescents are crazy and not grown up for 20, 20, two decades of their life, yeah, 20 years of their life. Like, what are we supposed to do with that in society? You, you can look at it like that, or you can look at, we have a little bit more time to, to mentor them and to bring them up and to show them how life is actually, um, like how to get through life the right way. Uh, so you have more time now. It's, it can be looked at as a very good thing. Um, experiences in my life with being mentored, uh, I'd probably be like dead in a ditch if I didn't have the mentors in my life. And that's, that's very honest. Um, I, I, I wasn't like a bad kid, and my mom would be like, he was a perfect kid. 
I was not a perfect kid. I did a lot of stupid things. I got, I got a lot, a lot, away with a lot, and uh, just towed the line before I would get caught. You know what I mean? Um, but I had, I had these influences in my life where if I didn't have that, it would have been a whole lot worse. I'm sure there's those of you in here that can probably say the same thing. Uh, like I said, my, my brothers, there was, there was good and bad examples in each of my brothers' lives. Like, I saw the good things they did, I saw the bad things they did. And I learned from it. Um, that was just natural growing up. You always, you know, if you're the youngest, you always have those siblings to look up to, or not look up to, depending on what they're doing. Um, and then I had a mentor uh, through middle school and high school who was uh, the worship pastor at my church, and he kind of brought me in and got me playing music and everything like that. Um, and he was kind of the core mentor in my life. And, but there were, there were other people, too, mostly on the worship teams, because I did that since I was in sixth grade. Uh, that just kind of naturally kind of brought me under their wing, showed me things, took interest in what I was interested in. That's, that's huge. If, if any of you are salesmen or, or, or know how to like kind of schmooze somebody, I guess, uh, in a business deal or anything, what, you ask them about them, right? You don't talk about yourself the whole time. And that's how you show someone that they're important to you. You, you, you talk about them. What are you, what are you doing with your life? What, what is your goal? What is your gift? What do you want to do? And then you kind of talk through that and help them, help them. You don't get that if you're just like, oh, yeah, well, I'm doing this, and uh, you should probably think about doing something like that too. And that doesn't really work. Um, but these people really talked about and dug in you know, to the common interests. And I think that's huge. If you have common interests with, with the younger person, just I mean, take them under your wing. Um, like I said, that's part of what we're trying to figure out how to do that more with youth and um, get them mentored in, in practical ways, but also spiritual ways. Because all, all the mentoring we do, no matter who you are, should be based on Scripture, right? Uh, it should be based on, on the gospel and scripture and God's truth. Other way, otherwise, uh, it's, it, it can go all kind of, kinds of crazy ways. Um, and I'm sure there's experiences in here with mentors that didn't quite teach the right thing or anything like that. Um, but we need to make sure we're constantly uh, basing it on scripture as well. Um, and I, I've had my bad experiences with mentorship too. I've been the, the token millennial in the room for, for diversity and generations. And I've been the one who was actually heard before, too. Um, you know, it's, mentoring isn't, like I said, it's messy. Sometimes it's going to be rough, and sometimes it's going to be good, sometimes it's going to be bad. Um, but it's, it's absolutely necessary uh, to bring people up and give them ownership and give them wisdom and experience and everything like that. Um, so some practical ways to do this. Uh, just a couple of things here. Kind of maybe, maybe this is what you're thinking, maybe this is what you've thought about mentorship. Uh, like I said, it all needs to be based on Scripture. That's the most important thing. Um, but, but one thing I see is build simple relationships with the next generation. Um, I, had, I had this friend in college who was a couple years older than me, and uh, he wanted to mentor me. And I was like, okay, I mean, cool. I, need, I don't know anyone here, so sure. And he was nice enough. Uh, and I, I think we're still friends. I don't talk to him in like years, but... Anyway, we sat down for lunch one day, and I didn't know him, he didn't know me, and he was just like asking these really personal questions. I was like, dude, I'm not going to share that with you. I don't even know who you are. Like, you're also my RA, so <laughs> this is really weird. Like, I'm not going to tell you this stuff. Um, so it's just like, yeah, I'm good, you know. Uh, yeah, read my Bible, like stuff like that. Like, keep it pretty minimal. Um, but he wanted these deep questions. He's like, dude, we don't even have a relationship right now. So building simple relationships is key. Just, I mean, like I said, just going out to eat or having a meal with someone is, is huge because you just spend time with them. Ask them about them. Ask them what they're doing. Ask them how that you can help them. Um, simple relationships will build trust, and then you can get into the, into the deep stuff. Uh, that's really, really critical because no one's going to, I'm sure most of you, without a relationship or trust, aren't going to share the deepest part of, parts of your life. Um, and then um, 
uh, something I thought that was interesting that, uh, again, was from the conference. Uh, Dr. Steve Argue was talking about the, the, the phrase, when I was your age. How many of you have said when I was your age to someone? <laughs> oh, come on, I know there's more. <laughs> yeah, I say it. <laughs> so, um, and he basically was saying, get it out of your vocabulary. And, you know, it, it's, it's okay if you're like, you know, kind of making funny comparisons or something. When I was your age, I had to walk uphill both ways and snow and sleet. Like, that's kind of how, it, you know, the, the typical one goes. Um, but what, what that does is basically says, I'm over you, this is probably how you should do it, is how I did it. Um, it's kind of like a, uh, kind of just pushes aside what's, what they're going through. Um, but he said what you should ask, or say, them, say more than uh, when I was your age is, tell me more about that, or explain that to me. Uh, like I said, find interest in them. Uh, ask questions that show that you care, uh, and not just, well, when I was your age, it wasn't like that, it was a lot better. Okay, but maybe, maybe this is just different. Maybe it's one of those things that's not bad or good, it's just different. Maybe, maybe we can learn from each other. Um, and then um, I had this, this, this uh, professor in college, uh, and he always said, work yourself out of a job in ministry. Uh, I always thought that was interesting, because, you know, and I've, I've heard of big churches like the, the pastor is looking to retire, and they're like, what are we going to do? We're a huge church, and we, like, we depend on this person. Um, and basically, if, if you're in ministry or any type of leadership, if you leave and it crumbles, you're not leading right. Um, I know I'm just like a, basically a kid to some of you, uh, saying like, you're not leading right if you don't do this. But really, if, if you leave what you're doing um, as a leader and it crumbles, uh, then there's some, something needs to change that needs to be added. Uh, you need to work yourself out of a job, basically. And we all fear, like that, there's that pride part of us, but also probably that insecurity part of us that fears being obsolete and not needed. Uh, I'm sure if I asked you to raise your hand if you wanted to feel needed, we'd probably all raise our hand to some degree. Um, so when we say work yourself out of a job, you're like, well, then I won't have a job. It's, no, not necessarily. Um, you'll have someone to, to shoulder that burden with you, just like we see in Elijah, Elijah and Elisha, and like we'll see in the following weeks. Um, but you also have someone to take your place after. Um, raise leaders underneath you as you're a leader uh, so it, it doesn't crumble under, after, uh, after you're gone. That's uh, huge. I mean, we see that with, with everyone through the Bible has done that. We see, we see Christ did that. Um, I mean, just huge examples of, of lead, raising up leaders underneath you so you are not the, basically the, I don't know, if you leave, it all crumbles. Um, that's very, very important, I think. Uh, and it kind of forces you to bring up leaders knowing, knowing as much as you do, to teach them what you know. Um, and then the phrase, too, I've heard a lot of people say this, uh, I can't mentor anyone right now because I need to get my own life together. Yeah, we all do, because we're all people, and you'll probably be dead before you can not say that sentence anymore. <laughs> That's the reality of it. We're all really messed up, and we're trying to get through life and trying to live by, according to God's word. Um, that's not really a good excuse. Uh, I mean, if, if you look at the disciples, I mean, Christ called them when they were nobodies, when they weren't even, like, good people, necessarily. He called the tax collector. Uh, tax collectors were synonymous with, with, uh, with basically criminals, um, with thieves, uh, in, that, in that time. So it's not like you know, your H&R Block guy today. It's someone that would come to your house and be like, give me your money. That was the tax collector. Uh, and these are the people Christ called. I mean, if they were like, I need to get my life together first, th that wouldn't work out for, for, for Christ. He'd be like, no, you're going to come with me anyway. You'll learn along the way. And we saw the disciples do stupid things in Scripture, like fighting over he was going to sit on what side of Christ, and then like, just all this stuff, like not wanting Christ to go and you know, basically fulfill his mission on the cross, standing in front of him. Uh, you know, Jesus even told Peter, like, get behind me, Satan. 
because it wasn't, it wasn't what God's you know, will was. So we saw the disciples do some stupid things, and it's okay because they had a mentor, they had Christ there to, to tell them, no, this is how it should be. Um, so don't let the thought of, I need to get my own life together first, stop you from mentoring someone. Now, obviously, there's some, some things like if there's a, there's a lifestyle that you're trying to work through, I can understand that. But for the most part, I mean, if you're you know, li- trying to live according to God's word, but you still, still have a mess, it's okay. I mean, the biggest thing is the next generation can learn from that. They learn from honesty. Uh, it's a huge thing with, with my generation and the next one. They can sense uh, authenticity really quickly. So if you pretend to be, fir- uh, if you pretend to be perfect, um, they'll immediately sniff that out and be like, ah, I'm good. I don't want really any, any advice from you. But if you're like, I, I really have a tr- you know, struggles with this, they're like, yeah, so do I, because we're human. Um, and so that really opens a door to, to vulnerability and to learning, too, if you're, if you're honest with that. Um, and as we wrap up, we're going to go into communion, and the worship team is going to come up. Uh, I just want to encourage you that, you know, just like I was saying how uh, we need to be bringing up the next generation, and we need to call them into whatever they're supposed to do and what God has gifted them to do, um, you know, Christ called us when we weren't, when we weren't des- you know, desirable at all. You know, we see that in the Scripture all the time. He called us when we were enemies of God. Uh, you see, you might see a, a young person in the younger generation who you're just like, oh, they're a nightmare. Maybe you could help them not be, you know, maybe you could help bring them up. Because um, we were all nightmares at one point. Um, and especially, you know, in spiritual terms, like I said, we were enemies of God. Uh, and Christ called us and he gave his life for us. Um, he passed on his mission to us. Um, so the usher's going to come forward and pass out communion and the, the band's going to play. And I just want you to, to really focus on that, the fact that, you know, Christ called you when you were desirable. He calls you to work with the maybe less desirable uh, he calls you to bring up the younger generation, make disciples, um, because this is what he gave his life for, to, to, to bring us into his family um, and to call us. So the, the, the band's going to sing, and uh, you can take communion on, on your own. Uh, after you take communion, I, I ask you to join the team uh, in worshiping.